Hey guys, this is Shaney Shane. Welcome to the MAPS podcast and thank you for checking us out. For our first episode, Michael and I decided to do an introductory one of our musical beginnings up until right now. We hope you enjoy it and please subscribe so you can listen to all of our totally radical guests. Shaka bra. <laughs> To the MAPS podcast, I am Shane Thompson, and with me is Michael Wilson. Booyah. We're finally doing it. We're doing it, man. We finally sat down, and we're doing this podcast for the studio. With whiskey. With whiskey. Even though, you know, I've been trying to watch my figure. So we're going to take it easy. But we're going to go for it. It all started with the pre-wedding scale. Pre-wedding scale. And that scale has been broken since... Uh, but it was, like you said, it wasn't as bad as the bachelor party weekend. Many, many alcoholic beverages and so much meat. There was so much meat <laughs> that weekend. That could be misconstrued very easily. Super meaty. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know. Just trying to trying to keep my my health in check. These are important times to keep your physical, mental, emotional health in check. Yep. But we're we're this podcast isn't about that necessarily. <laughs> we're gonna try to we we we're not gonna focus on uh, the terrible year that we're living in. We're gonna focus on where we're headed in the future. <laughs> we're gonna push ourselves forward into the positive realm that is not 2020. Well, why did we decide to do this in the first place? Where did it all start? I remember, but I'm trying to think if you have a very specific time where you're like, I need to do a podcast with Michael. No, never thought that once ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was when we went on tour and we obviously got heavy into the last podcast on the left. Shout out to them. And all the the weirdness involved with the stories and the conspiracies and just the silliness of that podcast. And yeah, and then we obviously got talking about some crazy, creepy stuff on our 19-hour drive to Seattle, Washington. So that was probably where it was like, hey, we should probably, uh, we should probably do something with this. I think it was definitely like so tired. So much alien talk in the brain. <laughs> we were going through Oregon in pitch black. Uh-huh. We were so delirious. We're like, we should do a podcast. <laughs> we should do it. And then we're like, all right, let's do that. And that was what, three years ago? Three or four. Damn. We've been blown uh, it. No, three. It was three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Good times. I know. So why don't we start off with 
let's talk about the studio. Where where we're at. Tell us a little bit about uh, what we have going on here, Michael. This is your this is your baby. <sighs> I guess so. Filson <laughs> will beg to differ. Uh, it's both of your babies, <laughs> but it's still you are you are parents in this. Yeah, it's like I fostering his his love child from another time. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it's like you each had your own children that melded into one. It was you had jelly children that jelly children that, that you brought together and they instantaneously bonded into one glorious child, one glorious jelly <laughs> gelatin child. I would say it's probably like a strawberry and blueberry mix. Oh my gosh, that's so uncanny. It's like the two political parties joined forces for once in their pathetic lives and got something done positively. All right, we're getting off track. I know, we're getting off track. <laughs> um, no, we're, we're at the studio called Maps. I, uh, yeah. This is this is my studio. I co-own it with Michael Filson, who started Artisan's Label over twelve-ish years ago. And yes, that's Michael Filson and Michael Wilson. That is correct. Yes. He's only got one L, though. He's got some uh, yeah some progress to make on adding an extra L. <laughs> um, Says the guy who everyone gets confused with how you spell your name. Oh, it's just one L, right? No, yep, it's two. And my brand new wife is already feeling the pain. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we're at the studio. Uh, we're primarily a music production studio. Uh, Shane is our studio manager. Again, I'm one of the co-owners and lead engineer. Um, yeah, we have a great team of producers. Um, probably 25-ish producers that freelance out of here and make a bunch of great records. And we have a great community of people. We try to support making music and any other kind of art as much as we can through this physical location. Um, but through that, we've had so many amazing conversations and with bringing Shane on in the past couple of years, we've been trying to nurture a bunch of good conversations, creative conversations about music and about records and about why we do this. And, you know, just talk about it more than I feel like has been talked about in the past because Recording can sometimes be a pretty isolated, lonely thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're actually in an isolated room all day trying or, to make a record. Or in the middle of the woods, like Bonnie Vare, just recording all by your lonesome and maybe going a little bit crazy. But hey, <laughs> sometimes it turns out to be one of the most amazing works you've ever done. Yeah. But, you know, we just recognized that, you know, having all these great conversations with musicians and producers and engineers and photographers and videographers and a bunch of creative people that, um, you know, us being such avid podcast listeners that why, why don't we try to just have some of these conversations and record them and put them out there and see if it might be interesting and helpful to some other people. Um, and one of the things too, that I like that we're working more and more is, is really building that community. Uh, it's, it's a tough tough world, especially in the entertainment industry and especially in music where it often gets down to like kind of, you know, every man for himself or every band for himself or every artist for himself. And it really shouldn't be like that. You know, we, we should really be trying to build bridges amongst musicians and, and make cool, you know, 
cool songs and cool records and um and that's what we're trying to do we're we're trying to get you know more producers in here more engineers and and who bring new artists and new clients and and having conversations or hanging out obviously the time being we can't have big parties but we you know in the future we'll get back to that where we can tell everyone hey we're gonna have a, a holiday party everyone is welcome we got local beer from the the brewery down the street we got local pizza from the pizzeria down the street and let's just all hang out like we can set up some the drums and, and guitars and, and play some music and whatever happens whatever happens you know and it's it, it really is important that we remember like we all want the same thing and it gets it gets frustrating when you know the idea of the music industry separates us into like well, you know, you got to just focus on your own stuff and you 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 need to do these many shows and you need to do this and you need to focus on your albums. But our hope is that we can bring people a little bit more together and at least just, at, at the very least, if we can just talk about it, talk about the fun stuff, you know, talk yeah. about talk about the plans even for the future. Like, that's that's a good start right there. Yeah. And I think like this inherently, these conversations have been stemmed from us growing up in Orange County. Yeah. You know, we've... Uh, had this bullshit moniker <laughs> going on our whole lives where it's like, oh, you're in the orange court curtain, bro. Like yeah. you need to go to LA if you're gonna make it. And I think both of us kind of grew up in bands where we're like, fuck that. Like we we don't want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. like we love our community here. We love the talent of of musicians and bands. And um, you know, there's so many creative people here that it's like this really needs to um be talked about and it, it deserves some recognition. And I feel like through the past couple of years, especially like touring and, you know, doing South by with our good friends, like John Hampton and, mm-hmm. and all those guys. And, you know, we've really seen that there are a lot of people who really care about this little part of Southern California. Um, but, you know, through the studio and through maps and all of our endeavors, you know, we've really been able to have great conversations with people all over the country, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this just so happens to be our little physical location right now in Orange County. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to do this first episode, right? Just us two. We do have plans to bring guests, but we just figured it's smart to introduce ourselves as a first episode and kind of talk about our silly story. Oh, how yeah. how we've gotten to where we are and how we met and how we're sitting at this card table in the middle of our live room drinking Buffalo Trace. It's a very nice card table. You didn't even know it was here. I had no idea. Keeps the romance alive with me not knowing things. <laughs> um, well, since you're older, do you want to go first? Oh, using that tactic, huh? Oh, okay. Gotta All set right. it up. I will never be as old as you are. That is true. Never, ever. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I am born and raised in Costa Mesa, California. Woo woo. Woo woo. Um, well, technically, I was born in uh, Orange at uh, St. Joe's, but raised in Costa Mesa. And um, yeah, two two awesome parents. Uh, my dad worked for AT and T. Boo for <laughs> many years. And uh, my mom worked for doctors, actually at St. Joe's and in that area. Um, she was like a administrator kind of and whatnot. And my older brother, Keith, special guy, he just turned 37 
Yeah, uh, Keith. This past, um, on your wedding day. Really? Yeah. Oh, I that blew was, it. That was his birthday on your wedding day. I think I'd probably take Keith at the wedding before uh, Daddy Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, Dan, Dan's going to listen to this. We love you, Daddy Dan. <laughs> we love you. But yeah, grew up, you know, and I was all into sports, doing baseball, basketball, soccer. I think I actually did all three in within at least a couple of years there. And that you was golf too. Well, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. Sorry. First starting, the gun. you're jumping the gun. Whose story is this? Whose story is this? <sighs> I just want to take everything away from you. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So baseball, basketball, soccer. Um, doing all that stuff and then got into skateboarding and, and surfing at a young age, uh, eventually snowboarding. And really, I'd always been surrounded by music. My dad comes from a family of nine Irish Catholics, so there you go. And all the brothers, his four brothers, four sisters that he has, and all the brothers decided to play instruments for whatever reason. None of the sisters really got in the musical gene. No, like violin or something? or Nothing. Nothing. Um, Recorder? Nope. Melodica? <laughs> as far as I know. Um, but I mean, I should even go back further. My, my grandfather was a very talented singer. Um, he was on sang, on, sang on the Lawrence Welk show. He went, he was on the like name that tune sh- show where you had to, you had you know, the top of the tune that you get to try and guess. And he, he won like consistently where they had to boot him off the show and said like, all right, here's your trip to Hawaii. Like, sorry, you can't play anywhere. That was your grandpa? Yeah. My dad's dad. Wow. Really, really like smooth, like kind of Sinatra-esque voice, you know, um, that's where I get it from. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, but yeah, so so my grandfather was a lover of music, and it carried on into his sons, my uncles and my dad, and they were obviously you know influenced by the great bands of the '60s, like the Beatles, the Stones, the Doors, Cream, uh, the Who, you know, all those classics. What about your doo-wop uncle? That's a different side of the family. <laughs> That's my mom's brother. He uh, was, he still is into doo-wop. He was uh, born a little too late, I feel like, because he, uh, he grew up same time as my dad. He's only two years younger, and he grew up with all the rad music of the 60s, but just was a little bit more attracted to the, the 50s, I guess you would say. But yeah, so for me... My dad, you know, was always asking me, you know, hey, what what band is this on the radio? Doing that test of like, do you know who this is? Yeah. And what radio stations? Um, obviously K Earth one oh one, obviously ninety three one. I think that was Aero FM at that time. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Before before it was Jack, I think it was Aero. Um No, I think it was Oh no, that's ninety eight seven for yeah. for Jack, but um Arrow, but yeah, it was those ones. And then, yeah, those are pretty much, I think, the classic. No KLOS? Oh, KLOS, 95.5. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot KLOS. The cool jet. No, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he would, he would do that test of like, hey, do you know who this is? And that just developed into really understanding different bands and figuring out who's, 
sounds like what and whose voice that is, what kind of guitar sound that is, what kind of overall feel that is. Um, so yeah, there's always music going on in my house. Originally, my mom wanted me to start playing piano and I was like, mom, piano's for nerds. <laughs> like, I don't want to play that. <laughs> and my dad, he, since he played guitar, he's like, Shane, you should play guitar. I'm like, it hurts my fingers, father. I don't want to play that. <laughs> and I didn't, I obviously, you know, I didn't, I wanted to rebel against what my, what my dad wanted me to do anyway. So I was like, still no, doing I, it. I don't want to. Yep. Still doing it. <laughs> um, but we were at a family reunion, a family get-together, a family party, and there was always my dad and his brothers playing music. So live band set up, and they were, they were taking a break, and I went... It, it was funny. They had this... It, they would have it set up in this like um, little shed. like It was a big outdoors shed, I remember, vividly. Hmm. Um, probably the size of this room. Or maybe almost the size of our live room here at MAP Studio, where you get the great drum live sound. Uh, but there was. There was a drum set, like, packed in there. And I asked my dad, Can it, is, it, is it okay if I go try that drum set? You know? And he's like, yeah, go for it. Sit down there, you know? And I sat and just, like, you know, banged around on the drums, not knowing what I was doing at all. How old were you? I was 11, and yeah, I don't know why it just suddenly I was attracted to it, um, because this has been something that had been going on for for me 11 years prior. You know, we'd always been going over to my grandparents' house and having these get-togethers with the live band, but all of a sudden I was just drawn to the drum set, and then once I like started hitting around, I'm like, this is pretty cool. So for that Christmas, my mom and I went to go visit our family out, her family in Pittsburgh. And when I came back, um, my dad had to stay home for work or something like that. I walked in the door and he was like, hey, notice anything different? And I'm like looking around I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And, and uh, I then noticed in our living room, it was this Royce drum set. If you ever heard of oh, that. Oh, yeah. Royce, yeah. It's a black Royce drum set and I was over the moon. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. That has been the best probably the only like good like surprise gift that I've <laughs> ever received, you know? Like that yeah. was I was ecstatic. It was such a cool feeling. I you know, they bought the drum set for probably like 150 bucks. It was like dirt cheap, but I didn't know the difference then. Right. And it was just, it was so cool. And we even have a video of me initially just like trying to play and like banging around on it. Like we have the VHS of me, my dad like sitting there like recording me and I'm trying to be like serious and, you know, trying to play like, it's just not a drum like beat at all. 11, 12 years old, like full beard. So, yeah, I just started kind of doing that a little bit more. And then my parents, you know, had me take some private lessons to really hone it in. And I picked it up. And, yeah, it was it was just so much fun to be able to do that. And then it got to a certain point, like 12, 13, where I 
you know, you can't play drums all night long. And I still wanted to play music. So um, I had my dad kind of teach me some chords. And I don't know what... A, I, I think one of the first songs he taught me was like a Dylan song, which is just like, yeah, G to C to D, you know, just like... My favorite chords. There you go. And uh, yeah, he would kind of show me a little bit here and there. But for me, I never... I really never wanted to learn covers. I was more um, interested in just playing and then playing what I thought sounded cool and really making something my own. Um, but I was pretty shy about it. Like, I felt I did not want my parents watching me and like sitting there. And um, <laughs> because I mean, one of the things is like my dad would kind of comment after every single song or thing I did I'm like still going on <laughs> still going on like dad I want to do this like leave me alone go to the kitchen like I'm trying to focus on this but yeah I just got into you know songwriting just pretty early on with just learning the guitar and just trying to figure out something that resonated within me not trying to learn something else because I was already doing that necessarily with, or with, with drums you know like that's pretty much what you have to do is you learn other songs Yep. And and that was cool. Like but especially when you, you're like learn some cool like punk songs or learn some cool whatever and and I guess I could go a little bit of that of my like early influences. So because that's also funny was I think I was it was it was it might have been that same year birthday and I had asked for or maybe it was Christmas. Yeah, it was Christmas. So I got asked for a boom box, a little like Portable one is round. I think it was like Sony or something. And if it was round. I think I had a Memorex one. Oh, it might have been. It might have been the kinda, Memorex. It looked like bug eyes. Like, uh-huh. You know. And you know, I was trying to figure out my first CDs that I ever like am asking for, and what music really fueled me. And funny enough, the first two originally were Prodigy, that one with the crab on it. So Fire. out there. How old were you? Like eleven, I was eleven <laughs> or twelve. Yeah, dude, I want I, Prodigy. I think it was ninety eight. So yeah, it was it was Prodigy. Like, dude, I just that like, I don't know why, but it was like, yeah, this is cool because you know? <laughs> it wasn't the Beach Boys or the Beatles much, or yeah, Dylan yeah. and, or Doo-Wop. but it was that and Third Eye Blind. That was that is still dude a solid record. But funny enough, I told my buddy Matt Mekovich, uh, calling you out, Matt. <laughs> I told him that's what I asked for. He's like, dude, those are lame, dude. You, you know, you shouldn't get those. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, I thought they were cool. <laughs> and it turned into, you know, he was turning me on to like Blink One Eight Two and 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 whatnot. But then I ended up asking for. No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. Still a solid record. Very good record. And Foo Fighters, The Color and the Shape. We already did a whole nother podcast about that record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With our buddy Greg. Mm-hmm. But, so I don't hear anything else about the Foo Fighters. Fine. Fine. <laughs> um, we love the Foo Fighters. But I, but even at that time, I didn't know that Dave Grohl was drummer for Nirvana. Oh, man. I had, so I had no idea. Like, it was one of those things where I just really liked you know, Monkey Wrench and My Hero and Everlong, obviously, and I'm just and and kept seeing it over and over on 
MTV or whatever and, and on the radio. And I was just, it just struck with me. And then oddly enough, that was a similar path where I went down of like learning drums first and playing drums on a lot of bands and then learning guitar and then fronting a band and being songwriter for it. So that was, uh, that was a trip for me. And, and so then from there, you know, my buddies were like, oh, Shane could play drums and we can all figure out guitar and bass, whatever. Like, you can play bass, right? No, I haven't played that ever before. <laughs> so what was the first band? The first, I don't think we ever had a name, but it was <clears throat> myself, Matt Mekovich, our friend Chewy, who was also another Matt, and then Brett Vossler. And we were just jamming around in the garage and it never really went anywhere. I was Did just anybody like, sing? Because that was like the biggest thing for me early. I was like, nobody sang. Nobody sang. Yeah. Nope. Nobody sang. And it wasn't, you know, that kind of fell apart. And it wasn't until high school when it was, so yeah, that was kind of like junior high years and we were all kind of just like flubbing through. Um, high school though, Matt had met some kids in water polo, namely Greg Johnson and he was like, "Hey, you play you play bass? Like I I play guitar, and my friend Shane plays drums. So, and like, what kind of music are you into?" And that's when we just got full bore into punk. I, I think I mean I should backtrack. I think a little bit in junior high, where Matt was like, he made me like a mix CD of like Circle Jerks and Black Flag and all yeah. and Ramones and all in the Clash and all that good stuff. Or like one of those Vans compilations from back in the day. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if this was even. I don't even know where he, he, he burned me a CD. I'm pretty sure. So I don't know whether he, Kazaa or, uh, uh LimeWire. I don't know if, I think those were around back then. So yeah, he just kind of all compiled it together and burned it for me and got super into it. And then we, yeah, just kind of went down that hole. Um, <laughs> and, and speaking the name of our first band Best, one of the greatest names ever that you could ever come up with. Harry Balzania and the Teeny Weenies. <laughs> so, yeah, we had uh, Ben Simich at the helm for vocals. And, yeah, my poor parents, because we rehearsed at my house, because that's where the drums were. <laughs> and, yeah, it, you know, it was like skate, thrash, punk. And, it, you know, it was it was sloppy but fast and... Like lots of energy, but it was great. It was super fun. And um, yeah, we did that for a few years. I don't know if I want to get into how it uh, how it ended, but it this was, is a positive podcast. Yeah, this is a positive podcast, but it, it was it was super fun. So I was like high school, heavily into punk music, skateboarding, surfing until basically the end of my junior year going into senior year I got turned on to Elliot Smith and then it like totally changed and um but then also like Arcade Fire and the Flaming Lips and all those kind of indie bands you know more like more yeah Death Cab for Cutie all that kind of stuff that was really coming up and especially funny enough through watching the OC is like all those indie bands were just <laughs> blowing up from that show. And it was so weird to watch it living, growing up in the OC and being like, this is so ridiculous. Cause this, uh, you'll see some parts where it's like, oh yeah, that's Newport Harbor. Or like that's friggin', uh, well, I think 
Oh, I'm thinking of Orange County, the movie too. So that's where they oh, like yeah. shot down like Santa. That movie's like great. That. Oh. I don't know about the TV show. But. The movie is amazing. <laughs> the TV show is just ridiculous. Like the first, the first season, you're like, okay, yeah, the, oh, this is kind of exciting and interesting. We'd have like watching parties. I at, don't like, think I house. finished a single episode ever. <laughs> oh, really? So no, it was yeah, it was such a it. soap opera, pretty much. Yeah, I cannot like, do it. Tur- I think when once I got to season three, it's like this is getting pretty incestuous. Like everyone yeah. just is like. Screwing well, each other. <laughs> it's got, it sort of still goes on sometimes. Yeah. But, and then, so after that, you know, I just got really involved with the indie kind of stuff. But then I also got into a, a retro kind of rock band called Two-Tone Tantrum with Brett Pelequin and Adam Knott. And that was super fun. Um, it was kind of like, it was like a little bit proggy classic rock revival. Is that the one you sang in? I did harmonies, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um so that's that that was a pretty crazy challenge is starting to sing when you play drums. Yeah, that's a trip. Yeah, it it took a, it, a lot, especially you know, it varies on what kind of music you're playing, but if you're doing stuff that's you know, not necessarily like boom ta boom ta like it gets the ACDC beat. Right. It gets it gets tricky. And yeah, so since since then, played in, in a lot of other bands. Those were kind of the the forming years. Um, went to OCC initially for uh, all the general ed stuff, and then transferred to UC Santa Barbara and got my music degree in ethnomusicology. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. And then, you know, came back home and and I I was writing a lot of music since then. Um I was playing in a band with Greg called the Kettle Drivers. Hell yeah. And it was all instrumental garage rock. So I think like Link Ray major majority and it basically oh I think lots of people said like oh it's a uh, Tarantino film music pretty much, you know, like Yeah, I I remember seeing you guys. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea who you guys were, you know, cuz like West Side Coast Mission shows and stuff like Yeah. And Vince was was the guy who first guy who booked us at Detroit too. He yeah. booked a, a few shows, and he was always pretty stoked on us. I remember f- initially talking to him, trying to get us in there, and he was just you know going for like, oh, okay, well, how many people can you bring? And you know the stereotypical <laughs> thing of of venues is like, well, what 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 kind of pool do you have? What kind of draw do you have? And we're like, well, right. we can get some people in, but we're just an instrumental band, you know, like, and uh, yeah, turned out to to be a lot of fun and. So, after you know, kind of doing that, and we were looking for something new. Greg, you know, decided we we Greg and I were living together, and we we're just like, hey, you should, uh, you should, we should start doing some of your stuff, like do some of your songs, and so that then formed Shape Pataki, and um, we had been working on an album, and we'd gone through you know a few drummers. Max Gomez was our original drummer, phenomenal dude, phenomenal. A musician, um, great songwriter, and he phenomenal smile. Am I right? Phenomenal smile, phenomenal muscles too. He is jacked, bro. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, like it got to the point where we're getting ready to record, and I approach him and I'm like, "Hey, uh, we're going to record. Are you going to be able to do this? Because I know you're working this one job and you're getting busy." And he's like, "You know, man, like I don't, I don't want to disappoint you, and I don't want to like." let things kind of like fall behind. So I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to pull back and, and, and not, and not do it. So I'm like, damn, I'm like, 
all right, well, I guess I'm playing drums, <laughs> you know, for the album. So I did drums, guitar, some keys, and yeah, vocals, and Brad on bass, Brett Pelequin, Greg on lead guitar, and our buddy Carlin Walth on keys and, and additional guitars, uh, Rhodes, I should say. And we recorded at Big Scary Tree Studios. Yeah, Jeb. Yeah, Jeb Libson. And uh, it was great. Turned out great. And then, you know, come towards the part of playing live shows. I'm like, God, I need to find a drummer. We'd already gone through like four. Like one was like some super young kid. One was some kid from college who's kind of dorky show off. I'm like, you're weird. One was an older dude, um, Scott from the Blue Whales. Um I'm blanking on his last name, but he was he was phenomenal. He was he was super good. Um I don't I forget why it just didn't didn't pan out. Um but then the kettle kettle drivers, yeah, we played a show in San Diego and it was Gardner's Logic, right? That we were playing with No, you were playing it? with Hank and Oh, that's ponies. right. Hank and her ponies. Excuse me. That's right. Hank and yeah. her ponies. Um played drums for those guys. I was like a country um, it's like more Americana, America, Americana like dream pop, yeah, kind of feel to it, yeah. And but yeah, was it was it Gardner's or was it? Uh, yeah, it was Gardner's yeah. at that uh, that funky Stir warehouse, store, secondhand, like, secondhand, uh-huh. you know, clothing store spot right down in downtown Santa Ana next to the Yoast. Yeah, and I saw this tall blonde, handsome man with glasses and a bare face. And I'm like, oh, a bare face. he looks kind of weird, but he can play drums really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I, yeah, I was like, I saw you and I'm like, damn, dude, this guy plays drums. Like he's making all the same choices that I would. And that's, it's funny where that comes down to is you kind of notice that when you go to a bunch of shows and you play with, with people here and there and, and there's certain people that you watch them play or you hear them play, and you're like, that aligns with exactly how I want to make music. Yeah, you it's know? like just how your brain functions. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and and I think especially because I started off with drums and then moved into playing guitar and, and songwriting and such, but I understood there's some people that, that might not see... If, if they only play guitar, they only play keys, they only play bass, they only sing, they might not see kind of the certain qualities of like drumming, like even just stylistically, like how how you hit something, you know, or, or kind of that presence that you bring. Um, but they might just be like, oh yeah, he sounds like a good drummer. But it's really, right. it comes down to, no, there's certain choices that he makes that makes him a good drummer for a reason, you know? And came up to this guy afterwards. I'm like, hey, man, you're really good at drumming. Like, will you play in my band? We you, you play in my band? I, th- I think it would be really cool if you played in my band. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, whatever. You know, I play all the time. And, uh, sort of, kind of. <laughs> I remember very specifically. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was. How this conversation went down. Yeah. Well, go for it. Yeah. Well, I guess that brings us kind of sort of up to speed, and I could tie it into the studio and all that. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I guess I'll start from the beginning of my story. Sure. And then we'll kind of bring it up to that meeting point, and then we'll kind of take it into the studio realm. I think that's... uh, We're trying our best here to, like, organize the podcast into something 
listenable and not just be us to surfer dudes just rambling. But we also want to establish a connection. We want yes. We want you to understand who we are and why you might hopefully like us just a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit. Uh, this is why you write songs. That's right. Um, Crying all the time. <laughs> just finding people to like me. <laughs> uh, no, so yeah, I was born and raised in Costa Mesa as well. Um, two awesome parents. I got a little sister. Um, but oddly enough, with the exception of very, very extended family, I'm still the only musician in my family. And um, yeah, I grew up uh, playing sports. I tried soccer. I got kicked out of a game for punching a kid for making a goal when I didn't. Figures. Um, so I was like, all right, soccer's not for me. <laughs> and um, How old are you? <laughs> I don't know, like six or something. <laughs> so I mean, it wasn't a real punch. It was probably like a little like, you know, thing on the shoulder or something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, there wasn't even goalies back then. So I don't know what I was crying about. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, my dad was a great baseball player and he always played softball when we were kids. So he naturally got me into baseball and I played baseball for like 12 years, 13 years. And um, we did that like super hard and he was always my coach. We did, you know, the winter ball season, we did the all-star thing, like whole night. It was awesome like such a good time, like still super fond memories. Um, but in like third grade ish, um, I had a friend and, uh, he had his older brother, you know, and I always wanted an older brother, brother when I was a kid. And, mm. um, you know, it's just like the cool guy who's a little bit older than you. And he, he played, um, in the, the marching band at Costa Mesa high school. And he played, um, like, tenor you know what i mean like drum like the quad drums oh yeah and um, <laughs> yeah and it's just like you look so badass like basically just have toms you know you're like, <laughs> like you're like damn and similar thing i i grew up with the whole radio quiz you know but it was all klos all the time hardly anything else KLOS all the time yeah and you know with me and my sister it was always like my dad has a Stones tattoo, so we knew that was yeah. that was an option. And my mom always <laughs> talked about Van Halen, so we just had these like canned answers where he would, you know, ACDC would come on and be like, "It's Van Halen," and like, "No, no, it's not," you know. And he would, "What are you thinking?" You know, and like, whip us into shape. Are you even listening? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like Angus does not sound like Eddie, and uh, so yeah, grew up doing that whole thing, and always like. Always have music going on. Oh. Yeah, That's going to be your first edit, Shane. Oh, sweet. Shane's going to have to engineer this whole podcast. Sweet, sweet. Um, so, uh, yeah. And <clears throat> right around that same time, like, you know, where your musical brain starts kind of developing. I think I was like in the third grade or something. Mm-hmm. Had this, this friend's older brother who played drums. And I was like, man. I want to play drums. And my parents were like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. And they're like, okay. So then I got into the fourth grade, and I'm like, still want to play drums. <laughs> and they're like, all right. I forget what you do in fourth grade in the 90s. Was it like trimesters or semesters? I don't know. I have no but idea. But whenever these... Obligate- I was at a private school, so I don't oh, even know. Sorry. Oh, no. By fourth grade, I wasn't. I was back in public. 
Um, <laughs> but you know, the obligatory report cards, which it, when you're that age, like really, what are you doing? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole deal was if you get straight A's, we'll get you some drums. And not that they doubted me. I was always a very good student, uh-huh. but it was just like a challenge. They're like, you're still doing baseball. Cause I was doing baseball full steam by then, you know, have to. And, um, they're like, we'll see if he's like really serious about this. Cause again, no musicians in my family, no clue like where to begin with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I get straight A's and I come up with my report card like, yeah, they're like, oh shit. <laughs> so they go over to um, Mars Music, which used to be yeah. at the block. There's yeah. no longer Mars Music and it's no longer called the block. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but from the story my parents told me, I imagine it was comical where they're like looking at the the row of snare drums and they're like, okay, somebody told us you have to start on snare drum because that's what the school band has. <laughs> and I went to Davis over in Costa Mesa right by the fairgrounds at that time. And um, they're, like, so they're scratching their heads and they're looking at like these Ludwig Black Beauties and they're like all these super expensive snare drums. And they're like, oh my God, like mm-hmm. what are we getting ourselves into? And so they, it's, I'm looking at it right now. It's still over there. They got me this yep. 10-inch like Yamaha stage custom, which is great drum, mm-hmm. but it's like a side snare. Yeah. And it has like a mount so that you could like put it on your R and B kit or something, you know, like yeah. over to the side. Yeah. And um of course me being a kid had no clue. Yeah. And I get it home and I'm like it's a drum. Yes. And so they give me like that. I think I had like a Remo practice pad, like some rudiment book. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't even think that they got me a stand at first. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> Just didn't know. Yeah. You know? Right. You just tell them totally between innocent your legs. and yeah. beautiful. And so I get well, it and I'm, I shit you not, dude. Like the next morning, mm-hmm. I think it was like a weekend. My dad was not home. Maybe he was. But I come running down the hall at the, the house in Costa Mesa. I get my drum and I'm just holding it in front of their bedroom door. They're sleeping. <laughs> and I was going, bah, 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 just going, and I'm like, "Wake up! I got a drum." See, that makes that's that's the difference between you and me. I would never, ever think of doing that to my poor parents. Oh, I felt so bad that I had to have a screaming punk band play. Well, I didn't feel that bad, but no way, so dude! Funny. I like I was just so, so pumped, amped, and yeah. I wanted them to come watch, and I wanted you know what I mean. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even stand, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I have a drum. I'm <laughs> gonna beat the shit out of this thing. Yeah. So eventually, like, get a stand, and they get me. They're like, "All right, we need to like direct this energy somewhere." Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, we uh, we talked about, it and they put me into like the school band, and I show up, and everybody's got 14 inch snare drums, <laughs> and I show up with this little tiny one, oh, and man. this band director. I mean, in hindsight, it was a really sweet guy, but like every band director's demise is some young kid wanting to learn drums. Right. <laughs> you know, just playing all sure. over the band. Like, yeah. no dynamic, just like, gaka, 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 you yeah. know? Yeah. And um, so he like looked at me, I was just like, basically, like, you call that a snare drum, like, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, like, what the hell? And I come home, like, guys, I have the small snare drum. <laughs> like, totally bummed. Yeah. And I'm like, shit. 
And so it's what it is that feeling that you can't, it's so hard to describe unless you have that moment. It doesn't matter whether it's a snare drum, it doesn't matter whether it's like the backpack, it doesn't matter yeah. whether it's, it's just like, I did something, uh, this is not right. I right. did something wrong and my parents let me down. And, oh my <laughs> God, like, oh. I feel so stupid. All embarrassed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so fast forward a little bit. I got over the band thing super quick. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't deal with it. Like nobody is like listening to ACDC. Yeah. Nobody's, you know, playing rock music. Like it's just very straight. It's very strict. You know, I was yeah. kind of like just bored and the band director wasn't a drummer. So like there was no, it was just like, mm. read, read the book. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so very quickly I was like, came back to negotiations with my parents. I think it was within the same year too. Cause that's why I think it was trimesters. Cause it was like this, uh-huh. this progression. They're like, it's like, guys, I need to level with you. Very mature fourth grader. Very mature. <laughs> and I was like, I need a drum kit. Like I can't, yeah. this just one snare drum thing is just driving me up the wall. And they're like, okay, straight A's do it again. We'll get you a drum kit. And they're like, no way he's going to do it two times in a row. <laughs> it's like, straight A's <laughs> and they're like shit <laughs> god damn it this goddamn smart kid hard working kid god damn it and uh yeah so we uh again talked to some friends and and talked to that that friend who played drums and uh went down to west coast drum center off of bristol and sunflower was it ish pretty much um, yeah. and no longer there one of the coolest drum shops dude i'm it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so much good gear. But I actually went there with my pops, and he's like, all right, we're going to figure this out. And again, being a kid, you have no idea like what, what money is all about. you know. Yeah. And he goes in, and he's like, kind of <laughs> like talking to the shop guy like it's a used car salesman, kind of like, Was right. it Darren, do you think? I don't think it was Darren. Okay. Um, but I've, I think I've told him a mini version of this story in one way or another. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, he still plays, and we see him. Darren's great. Um, Shout but, out to All Right Spider. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. And he's, like, negotiating with this guy, like, all right, so, like, looking to get into the kit, you know? And I, I forget what number he threw out, but I just remember, like, watching his draw, his, his jaw hit the floor. He's yeah. just like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, and then you need to get symbols. He's like, oh, my yeah. God. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on? And it's Drums are expensive, people. Yeah, I'm just like, man, my parents would have been off so much easier if they just gave me like a Squire Strat uh-huh. or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so he he sucked it up and he got me like a 90s Pearl Export yeah. uh, drum kit with like a CB snare. And then oh. I think I... I forget what my first cymbals were there. I'm sure they're like B8s or sure. something like that. You yeah. know, some like terrible sounding symbols. Um, I think I start with just a hi-hat and like a crash ride. Right. So um, at our old house, we had the whole second story was one big loft room and they just put me up there. They're like, (laughs) get this kid out. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, the sound will just travel up and not down. Yeah. Just out to the freeway, (laughs) out to the 55, you know? And um, yeah. And so at that point I was like, definitely over, band i think i was only in there for like one or two trimesters like yeah and just phased out super quick and i had met a friend through there though who played bass and i was just like okay like cool 
I like electric bass. Let's try to figure this out. So we started jamming, but we would just do a similar thing, put the boom box on as loud as we could mm-hmm. and put like ACDC on or put, I mean, put Led Zeppelin on and realize we're nowhere close to being able to like play to that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just trying to figure out songs, you know, and try to, and we just couldn't do it. So then he kind of like had like a three, not chord, but three note progression. And we just like, just play and try to figure it out. And after a while, like we kind of lost touch and then I would just put on the headphones, man, mm-hmm. and would just play to the radio or just try to play to whatever. Yeah. And essentially just kind of taught myself how to play. So when I was, 12, um, family decided to buy a house in Huntington Beach. And um, that meant like doing the whole in-between school thing. So I was still like finishing up my years at Davis. Mm -hmm. And um, then I ended up, you know, transitioning schools to Talbert Middle School in Huntington. And um, it was there that I was in PE or out of recess or whatever you do when you're that age. And I met uh, Jimmy Hua. And oh, I met Jimmy. Zach Webb and um, those two guys founded Big Monster, which obviously now I'm in that band. Um, but yeah, and we started talking about Zeppelin. We started talking about Nirvana. We started talking about the Who and the Doors and the Stones and like all these classic. Which is rock such bands. a great feeling when you find someone like that that age, and you're like, you're into everything that I like. And again, I was like 13, yeah, you know, 12 or 13. And that's like, really when you start just getting into like your own sense of music. And yeah. it's such a, it's such a, an, it's an awesome feeling of like, oh man, you like this band? Yeah, I love that band. And like, oh, we all play music? Like, let's try to play that music, you know? Yeah. So before I know it, they're coming over to the house. At that time, Jimmy R had an SG which was sick. Like, Dang. you're like, oh my God, like he has a Gibson, you know? And uh, I forget what Zach had. I think he has like, he had like an Ibanez or something. Oh, Ibanez? Ibanez. Ibanez. And uh, kind of around the same time, uh, Devin Lamb actually was, you know, my yeah. ne- well, pretty much my next door neighbor. And um, he now plays in 20 Minute Mile and mm-hmm. like a brother to me and all that. But uh, he would come over with his bass or his guitar and we would like mess around and we were started to skate pretty heavily then. And like, yeah. we were all into the, kind of the skate punk stuff and um, trying to figure all that stuff out and just have fun. And pretty soon my bedroom where my drum set was, was just like a rotating like jam room. Yeah. And so, you know, brand new house in Huntington beach. My dad being a custom home builder, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, uh, he was like, all right, enough is enough. We're going to, build you a band room in the backyard. And so he so built jealous. me he built me this little 10 foot by 12 foot band room. And uh, he did the little mini foundation, did the framing, did the outside and did the electrical and basically got this like recycled rubber matting out of tires. Yeah. And then like, I forget the dimensions, but like 18 inch by 18 inch rubber backed um, carpet. Uh-huh. And he had a drywall on the ceiling. And then basically he was like, all right, you need to cut up everything, like all this rubber, and shove it into the the framing in between the two by fours, the studs. And um Did you do like multiple layers? Just stuffed it all the way from yeah. like, you know, I forget how deep the walls are, but um yeah, for a two by four, right? It's probably four inches, right? I think they're I think he doubled it up. I can't oh, remember. Okay. But um <clears throat> yeah, so he uh, basically made me like child labor, like put the, 
you know, child labor for the fruits. Oh yeah, uh, for you. Great, <laughs> loved it. You were thirteen. Um, it, you weren't that young. It was like you I were know. like six years. Old. I know, but it was so funny. And like, so I ended up like insulating this whole thing with like rubber matting. Yeah, because you know he was like, "This is gonna be more soundproof and absorb more," which mm-hmm. in hindsight made the room very boingy. But oh, uh, yeah. and then he helped me drywall it, or rather, I helped him drywall it, yeah. and then. Um, he gave me a staple gun, and he's just like, "All right, like build this puzzle, and just like put all the the carpet in on the walls." And then it was like, "Here we go!" And we had like a jam room, and it was awesome. And so, so epic, yeah. So from there, like, you know, middle school. Wait, did and did he put he put AC in there, right? Dude, we had to suffer for a couple of years. It was like a sauna, man. Yeah. Like we definitely lost some weight. <laughs> playing like hours of music just you know totally blasting our hearing out but yeah. um yeah and uh kind of around that same time when, when i was like 14 you know parents were like all right we're going to hawaii for christmas i'm like damn like i am such a spoiled little kid you know and they're like just so you know don't expect any christmas presents like this is the christmas present like, sweet and great trip mm-hmm. you know they give us little stockings or whatever when we were in hawaii like it was Great. And um, had an awesome trip. And then me and my sister, you know, we come back home. They're like, hey, go uh, check out the band room. And so I go in there and they had a brand new Gretsch drum kit for me. Damn. And they had a, a guitar and an amp for my sister. Because my sister hadn't, hadn't picked up an instrument yet. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I got to find that thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, do, do and you know what kind of guitar it is? It was just a Squire Strat. I think yeah. it was a short scale. Okay. But I've always wanted to like do a project guitar with it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know. But uh, anyways, she tried to play guitar with me for a couple of years. She was like, "Nah, I'm over the shit. <laughs> this is you, brother." And um, <laughs> yeah, and so I was like, "Damn!" And it was like this Gretsch Catalina Birch kit, like full Sick. rack, like eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. You know, brand new symbols. I'm like. Holy shit. And that time I just discovered Iron Maiden. And <laughs> so, yeah. So here here we are like in middle school getting going into high school and we like, you know, start like playing some crazier music, all like self-taught. And yeah. um before I knew it, I had the full rack with two crashes, Chinas, you know, like do chores <laughs> to like buy like Did you have two Chinas? Two Chinas. You had two China. One on either side. I was like, dang, bro. I, had the, I put the side snare on the side. I was like, all right, I got double kick drum pedal, did the whole nine. I like, and I got all into the Gibraltar. At that time, I called it yeah. Gibraltar. Gib- and, Gibraltar. Uh, the, the, um, yeah. The, the whole rack. Yeah, yeah the, the rack. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But then I floated the floor, Tom. I put my yeah. snare up on the rack, like the whole deal. And I was I put the total, snare up on the rack. Dude, it could be done. And uh-huh. then it was time for our band, which was. Me, Zach, Jimmy, I think Rusty was in it by then. Oh, nice. Rusty Osborne. And I'm pretty sure Lexi was in the band by then. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the first real gig that wasn't in somebody's backyard was at Hoagie Bar Michaels. Hoagies, which and is now, what is it called? <sighs> Campus Jacks. Campus Jacks. And so uh, here I am getting my first taste of... Uh, pre-sale tickets you know pay to play <laughs> yeah, dude. and my so first stupid. taste of a 15 minute changeover oh my god and so 
you know, like any young kid that we still see out in the parking lot before the show, like setting up his kid and he's looking at it all up and down. He's like, this uh-huh. has got to be just right. Uh-huh. Otherwise I'm going to fuck up because I don't so know what that time is. It's yeah. so nerve wracking. Which I think is hilarious in hindsight because I'm always giving people a hard time. Like, trust me, you know where the drum is. It's okay. <laughs> and um, sitting it all out there and the the wings of the rack are all out and all my shit's floating. I'm like, yeah, I got this dialed. Go to try to fit it through the door. Definitely not oh fit through the door. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we like Hilarious. pull the wings in. I'm getting up there. and Before I know it, they're like, yeah, so you're 10 minutes into your set. So you got to get this thing going. I'm like, oh, shit. So I shit, you know, within... Uh, <laughs> to the I, think, I think we have a recording of it. Oh, yeah. of that song? Uh, yeah. No. Or maybe Ace is High. Okay. Or... The trooper Dude. we did a lot. We got we got to play that. Oh yeah, we got to find it. Um, oh my gosh! But uh, yeah, and after that, I drastically had to size down my kid. I was yeah. like, I can't do this. Yeah, it's not worth it. Right? It's 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 cool when you're that age, to especially if yeah, if you're a fucking Rush fan or whatever, <laughs> you know, like yeah, the bigger the set, drum set, the better. The more yeah. options you have. No, once you start playing live shows, you realize. Oh, fuck this. Like, let's make it as minimal as possible. Yeah. You're like, I could do more with less. Like, yeah. let's let's figure this out. So um, right around the same time, uh, Zach had gone to one high school. Jimmy had gone to one high school. Mm-hmm. I went to Edison. Zach went to Huntington. Jimmy went to Fountain Valley. Um, actually, Rusty was at Ocean View, too. So we were like at all oh, these wow. different high schools over, all over Huntington Beach. But Zach had joined this music program mm-hmm. called APA. And there was this department called CRAD, which was the Commercial Recording Arts Department. And he invited, CRAD, dude, that's totally CRAD, bro. <laughs> it was actually originally called the Commercial Recording Arts Program. Oh. Which would stand for crap. crap. Oh. So, very wise man changed that. Yes. Um, Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I had yet to accept the Beatles into my repertoire so of what's good i would yeah. talk so much shit i'm like beatles are pretty much elvis wah, wah, wah. <laughs> old people like so ignorant no idea what i was talking about and zach um you know we're still in the band and stuff he's like hey man i'm, I'm in this music program it's really cool you should come check out the show we're doing the beatles white album and i was like beatles schmeedles where's it at? he's like the library honey you know like the library <laughs> What? Oh, the library. Oh, playing the Beatles. Yeah. Oh. I was like, whatever, dude. I love you. I guess I'll come look at this shoot show. <laughs> and I show up and my fucking mind was blown. Yeah. It was so good. And yeah. it it's, I mean, it's still around. Um, you know, I still work with them. And it's this music program that was started like, yeah, I mean, 2005, four, something like that. Um, and... Yeah, basically teaching kids how to play rock shows. Mm-hmm. And um, they covered a majority of high school students. There's a couple teachers that sat in the White Album front to back, like live. It's epic. And, um, you know, at that time, like no tracks. There was a couple like sound cues to get like the Mr. Kite thing. Or, or that was Sergeant Peppers. But um, yeah, but, you know, just like a little things here and there. Mm-hmm. They would like cue the thing for piggies or like whatever mm-hmm. um and so immediately after i was like let me know when the next auditions are like i'm in so yeah. come my sophomore year of high school 
Um, I was still playing baseball uh, all through middle school and didn't make the team my freshman year because I was all music. You I was loser. surfing. What a loser. My hair was long. What a music surf bum. Totally like blew my tryouts. My dad was like, you absolutely need to try out again. <laughs> and when I got accepted to APA mm-hmm. uh, my sophomore year of high school, I had to hand write my dad a letter because he gets up super early for work. I hand wrote him a letter all late at night and left it on the counter so he could see it. About what how I was going to try. I was quitting baseball to play music. And he was like my coach. Like this was going to be my scholarship, like the whole nine. I hope, I hope you wrote included in there as well. I don't want your life. <laughs> Varsity Blues, there you go. <laughs> but uh, that was some of the more wise Mama Robin uh, advice I got. You know, my mom definitely was like, shit, dad's going to be bombed. She's like, you need to write him a letter. And I was like, okay. Like, she's like, cause basically like couldn't imagine facing my dad with that, you know? And, um, yeah. And so he was clearly obviously super supportive already. He had built the band room, you know, got me the drum kit, like the whole nine, like, but also obviously completely heartbroken and crushed that you (laughs) turned down baseball. Yeah. So I wrote him the letter and we talked it out and I, you know, we all got home from school and work and all that stuff. And he was super sweet and, you know, supportive and he was definitely bummed, but it was like, all right, this is the next movie. He's basically like, you better fucking do good. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so, and, that, I qu- and, and real quick, yeah, we have to give props to our parents yeah, for like, absolutely, you know, cause it, it is, it's music is not easy. It is not, I mean, obviously baseball is not freaking easy either, but at the same time, it's it's just something that you, unfortunately, there's been so many people <laughs> that kind of give music a bad name, especially when it comes to like playing in rock bands and playing in, in bands in general, like that lots of times like... <sighs> You're gonna get on. You're gonna get hooked on drugs. You're gonna become an alcoholic. You're just gonna want to do it for a good time and a party. But no, like there are those of us that really take this seriously and want. We want to be successful, doing it in a very professional manner. And and funny enough too, even from your wedding day, Sarah saw how much work it took to set up the stage, set up the sound, set up the lighting, and then packing that also at the end of the night too. Yeah. It's a lot of work. If you've never experienced like the setup and breakdown for any live show, like there, there is so much work that goes into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those things, like you said, like without the support of our parents, it's like how... How would we be able to do it? You know, one hundred percent. But uh, but yeah. So I mean, I broke off the baseball thing with my my pops, and and he was, you know, eventually all on board with the music stuff, and um, joined APA. Mm-hmm. Had an amazing experience with Jamie Knight and Mike Simmons, and uh, they were the the teachers and the directors of the program, and I got to play Sgt. Pepper's live. I got to play Abbey Road all the way through live. We got to do a bunch of 70s songs, you know. We got to play the... I play, not that song. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we did some 80s stuff. Like, we got to go to Liverpool and play the Cavern Club so where the cool. Beatles got to play. And, wow. You know, it's an incredible program 
in a public school. Yeah. You know, and it really was um, Jamie's like incredible fundraising and hard work that was like able to make this program flourish, you know? Um, and it was great. It was awesome. And when I was 18 and graduating, like, hey, we want you back to be a music director for the program and re- basically rehearse all the kids. So it was very strange. I like graduated in June or whatever. And then come September, I was right back teaching and getting paid in the same class. So like who were my classmates a grade younger than me were now my students. And it was very strange. So like Anthony Grisham was one of yeah. them, you know. It's a um, weird feeling walking back into your high school. Yeah. Especially working. And like that quickly, you know, yeah. it was three months or whatever, it was just a summer. Exactly. So right around that same time, um, my first job ever was pushing carts at Target. And uh, <laughs> did that for like a year and a half, broke my foot skating, <laughs> realized I need to play drums, kind of slowed down the skating and said, peace out to Target. Yeah. And my parents were always like really serious about me working. Like they made me save up as much money as I could to go on that England trip and, and all that. And so they're like, you need to get a job. You can't be doing this. So I obviously had the job at the high school, but it was like minimal. I was going to community college and, uh, Jamie helped me kind of connect with a local production company called Pacific Coast Entertainment and mm-hmm. the owner, Ryan Steinger, Shout out Ryan. Um, he, I don't know why, uh, decided to call me on to a gig as a freelance, uh, basically audio engineer stagehand. Mm-hmm. And ever since I was 18, I was getting called on like freelance gigs. And you show up, I'm like, hey, cool, what do I do? They're like, all right, we're setting up this whole stage. We're setting up LED walls. We're setting up a bunch of audio. We're setting up projectors, you know. And, um, it was it was killer, you know, killer experience just to be able to work in like the corporate world and do a lot of freelance audio. And so I started kind of like cutting my teeth with um, live audio. Mm-hmm. But right around the same time, it was a very busy year. Um, one of my bands that was still like, I don't think Jimmy was in it anymore, but a, a separate band called Smokestack with Smokestack, Zach and Rusty. Um, and Lexi, uh, we recorded like our first single with uh, a friend's brother and um, super talented engineer producer. And, and it was right when like um, Paramore was super big and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. And so we went to this rad studio up in Anaheim, private studio, and we did the whole thing. And, you know, I played the drum take. He's like, cool, punch in here, punch in there, punch in there. Cool, can we get this fill one more time? And he just starts like comping and like manufacturing this drum take. And I was like... I don't really know what's going on, but I thought that John Bonham just played all the way through, and that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. And, like, yeah. what's this still thing? Luckily, through APA, they taught us how to play with a metronome, so, like, wasn't too scared of that whole deal. Yeah. But uh, I was just like, man, this is very strange. And, like, I'd already had a, a big interest in audio, obviously. Um, and fast forward, I come to the mix session, ready to do the mix, you know, sit in on the mix, and uh, I listened to the drum part, and the intro was like a guitar intro. And then the first snare drum hit was like a reverse snare hit. I was like, and I was like, whoa, I did not play that. <laughs> and the whole drum part was sampled, oh, rearranged, God. whole nine. And I was like, what the hell, man? And the whole band's like, pretty sick, right? And I'm like, no. And so we go in the parking lot, we get in a huge fight, like yeah. the whole night. I walked out. I didn't even stay for the rest of the mix session and quit the band. Damn. And so 
from that point on, once when I graduated high school, again, within that like summer, um, having an amazing supportive family, I got some graduation money. And I just like hopped on the internet and was like, cool, I got a MacBook. I need some interfaces and some mics, you yeah. know, and I'm going to record out of the band room in the backyard. I was like, I cannot do this for anybody else. I mean, this is the most terrible experience I ever had, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, okay, I'm going to record my new bands <laughs> EP. And that was with Ian Bailey and Gary Westmoreland. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Jimmy was in the band originally and then he quit. Right, right, right. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, uh, why so, did Jimmy quit? Because we had kind of a Beatles thing situated where it was uh-huh. like we were all co-writing, but we had two singers. Uh-huh. So we had like Ian and Jimmy playing the Paul and John scenario, you right. know, respectively. And Jimmy just wasn't into what Ian was writing and Ian wasn't into what Jimmy was writing. And it was just like, <laughs> I'll never forget, like heartbreaking. I was like, oh, man. Um, but yeah. Band so relationships are tough. They are. They're like worse girlfriends you know but you're in a relationship with multiple girlfriends i know at at the very least you're in the relationship with two girlfriends two girlfriends at the same time yeah but then you have most likely more than that <laughs> but uh yeah so kind of around the same time when i was freelancing for pce i was working at the high school i started hacking away at learning how to record just all by myself mm-hmm. like, i had no idea what i was doing i was like plugging into like an old motu 828 that only had four pre's but it had line ins and i was plugging a microphone right into the line in without a preamp and like pretend that, that worked on the microphone's on like no idea what the hell i was doing you know and we cranked out like our first five song ep and it was so diy that we recorded the whole thing. And I was like, all right, it's time to mix. I know we I know mixing is a part of the process. And um I was like, shit, I don't even have any studio monitors. <laughs> like I was just doing it on headphones. Like the whole thing was all on headphones, you know? Yeah. And I was like, damn it. So I hop on Craigslist and the little money I was getting from the high school and then doing the freelance gigs. And then at the same time I started teaching drums, like little private lessons and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hop on Craigslist and find some monitors and then I would find a microphone then I would sell that microphone and buy a better microphone and like do this whole thing and got like fully like into it, you know? And um, yeah, cranked out the first... I always knew you were a hustler. (laughs) Cranked out the first uh, Counter Regiment EP. We did like a full CD release show. We played a bunch of local shows and that's really when like our foot got into the local quote-unquote OC music scene. Like, we played, mm-hmm. like, E-Vocal. We played Avalon. We played Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, we did Malone's a couple times. Mm-hmm. We did... I think we did the Galaxy ones. Yeah. I think we did maybe a House of Blues thing. Um, but it was kind of through that that EP release that, you know, people were like, oh, where'd you record this? And in hindsight, probably sound like shit. But... Uh, you know, it was like we were just cutting our teeth and trying to figure it out, you know, right. and so we had a great time doing it. And, um, yeah, and so through that, like, 18 to 19 kind of year for me, um, we had, like, talked to a couple of their bands and people would, oh, hey, can you record us? And, like, I don't know, like, uh, what do you charge people? I don't know how to do that, you know? Yeah. And so band, we had a couple bands come in and try to record them, and I realized, like, I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and um, we had, had tried to record, like, an, a friend's band, 
and they couldn't pay us. They couldn't figure it out. But um, oddly enough, one of them had, two of them had a job at a, uh, like a book publishing company called Teacher Creative Materials in Huntington Beach. And they were looking for an engineer to do audiobooks for them. Right. And they're like, hey, man, like we can't pay you, but we think that maybe you could, you could get this gig. And I was like, sure. Yeah. I got a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so before I knew it, I had like this corporate audiobook client and they were coming into my parents' backyard. Like I'd have you sitting in the garage with the Coors Light, like reading the newspaper. I'd be bringing like voice talent and like somebody in a suit, like into the backyard, you know? And the banner was soundproof enough, but really not like, (laughs) like if a big enough truck went by. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. And dude, let's, I, let's take that one again. They, they were like, I could do the AC, but I turned off when we were recording. So it was just like sweaty corporate oh, people Jesus, and voice talent. Yeah. And like, I had blankets up all over the place, just blocked the fan from my laptop and this whole <laughs> nine. And uh, somehow they kept on hiring me. And so within that year, one of my drum students, who was this guy probably in his 40s, and one of his kids was in the APA program. Um, you know, he had uh, an electrician's business in North Huntington in a warehouse, and he had built out the warehouse to be a room. And um, <clears throat> he just wanted to be able to jam with his kids. So he, like, hired me again. Why are you hiring an 18-year-old? <laughs> but uh, I guess I convinced people that I knew what I was doing. But, um, yeah. And, yeah, I was teaching him drums. And, you know, he was kind of the only, like, small business owner I knew. And for some reason around time, I was like, I want to start a record label. (laughs) Hmm. I don't know why. It was was no like you followed some other record label guy. I think it kind of came from like, you know, learning some of the history in in high school and stuff with like, oh, like the Sunset Strip in the 60s. Like it wasn't about this one band. It was about all these bands, you know, and kind of having that frustration again, like the Orange Curtain and like, you know, this music scene is so rad here and it deserves some attention and like nobody seems to be doing anything about it kind of a deal. Hmm. And so I remember asking him like, Hey, like, so what's it like to get a business license in Huntington beach? And he was just like, Oh, well it's this, this and this. And I think it's like a hundred bucks a year or something like that. And he's like, but you know, you really need a spot to do it out of those are going to do your parents' house and so on and so forth. And I was like, huh? Okay. And then like a few months later, I got a call from like out of the blue. He's like, Hey man, you still trying to start that record label? I was like, ah, you know, I think that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> I actually might want to start a recording studio now. Cause I had the audiobook client thing going. I was actually making some money mm-hmm. and, um, obviously embarrassed with <laughs> the location, you know? <laughs> and, uh, he's like, well, you know, I'm going to be doing a shift in my business. I think the warehouse space and one of the offices is going to open up. He's like, do you want to sub rent it from me? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I sit Ian and Gary down, my bandmates, at a subway off of Beach in Yorktown. Subway. And uh, <laughs> I have this conversation with them. And I'm like, hey, guys, we need to start a recording studio. And they're like, what? We were like, uh, we were 19. Yeah. Uh, what? We yeah. just barely graduated high school. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. So before I know it, um, we had this handshake deal for Especially a studio. Ian, I could see him just like, what? <laughs> I know. And, uh, Love you, Bale Yeah. <clears throat> and we, uh, 
so yeah, before I know it, we were like moving in and we had our handshake deal. Like it was a cash deal, you know, like real down and dirty. And we basically had like a little office and then we had a full warehouse that was a room within a room. So soundproof, it was mm-hmm. a box, you know, not treated. Um, so we buy all the Oralex and then he had a print room, like where his like printers and copiers were and shit like that. And, uh, I was like, this pretty much looks like an ISO booth to me. <laughs> so got my dad involved and I was like, what do you think? He's just like, oh, no, no, no. We need to like spiff this up. So he comes in, you know, over the next like year, first year of us doing it. And we put like badass like glass doors in. We put hardwood floors in. He helped me build diffusers, like the whole nine. And we really like within a first couple of years had a very like workable studio. Yeah. And <clears throat> we were coincidentally on the same street as that that audiobook company so we were still grinding with that playing all the shows more and more local bands kind of came through and while we were going to college and i was doing the high school and i was doing freelance gigs like still teaching a little bit of lessons here and there uh, we just started making records and we were more or less like a little production team yeah. you know i was the one who was most available and so i was kind of like honing my engineering skills we still did everything off the same black macbook yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and then eventually we're like all right we're gonna buy ourselves our first big studio purchase and it was like our imac and then we start buying a couple more microphones and here and there we open a business account it was like before we knew it we were like we're filing business taxes together you know Crazy. we're like what is happening so uh, right around the same time, Gary and I graduate college, and we're like, peace out. We're going to Europe for three weeks. Um, I came back the next, uh, the following day after the trip and uh, had a three-month gig actually at SeaWorld, um, right when Blackfish came out. Seven early. And uh, very weird time. And uh, it was for PCE, and I had like a three-month gig or two-month gig or something like that down in San Diego. So I was coming back and forth, still doing shows, met my beautiful wife around that same time. And, um, yeah, and was still doing the studio stuff. And then I got a phone call from um, the guy we're subleasing the studio from. And basically, we had lost the studio. And I was like, what? So at that time, I was like full in, like producing records for people. I did like Fellow Bohemian, I did Ransburg. Um, I had joined Big Mosta by that time. Mm-hmm. Right through that time, too, we started Gardner's Logic as kind of a result of Counter Regiment, mm-hmm. kind of not doing anything. Um, and so we were like all in just like doing Detroit bar and like just really, really hunkering down. And on there's these. someone else too that you also joined that you, I'm before not you, quite there yet. You already passed going on your trip. I wasn't in the band yet. <laughs> so that brings us up to speed <laughs> to where right before that trip, we had played that show. Uh huh. And, um, Shane was like, will you join my band? And I was like, this is how it went down. Uh-huh. Yes. I remember, I think it was via Facebook too. And Well, I mean, I approached you yeah. at the show. Yeah, but yeah. then the follow-up. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking, like I told him, I was like, dude, I'm already in like two, three bands. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to Europe. I was like, basically told him like, unless you want to pay me, I'm not interested, <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, he's like, all right, man, well, can I at least give he, you my CD? Me. You. We're right here. We're talking to each other. I'm talking to the audience. But you're also, I'm here. Okay, so you. <laughs> I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here, Michael. Look at me. Still don't acknowledge you. No. <laughs> um, but uh, you. Yes, me. Basically, uh, we're like, can I, 
can I please come give you my CD? And I was like, okay. And the only time. I don't time- know if it was like that. It was like, hey, well, man, yeah. Hey, lo- I'll give you my CD. Listen to it while you're on your trip. <laughs> if you're into it, you're into it. If not, no biggie. And uh, the only time I had available for him to come by was my graduation party the <laughs> yeah. day that I graduated college. Because it was like I graduated and the yeah. next morning got on a plane. Yeah. And um, he comes over like mid-graduation party like, uh, hi. hi, Michael's family. Uh, I'm Shane. I'm just here to see him and give him my CD. <laughs> so I did, like a good friend, even though we weren't friends yet, uh-huh. um, put that, that record on my phone and I was listening to it the whole time I was in Europe. And uh, I was like, I might be able to get with this. I might be able to see what's up. So, yeah, through that transition when I was going to San Diego, I don't think we, like, I think maybe we jammed, like, halfway through that summer. Because that's when I had the crazy Wyatt haircut. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, we basically kind of started jamming in your garage. And before I knew it, I was like, fuck, I'm in another band. (laughs) (laughs) Like four bands, yeah. So I think you only kind of caught the tail end of the old Maps location. Yes, so, yeah. we, we were there. Maybe I, I was maybe there for a couple of times, but yeah, but yeah, it was it was pretty quick. It shut down. Yeah, and so we had we, to move. we uh, had to move, put the shit in storage, and I was like freelancing at other studios for the year, mm-hmm. and uh, was looking for other studios. And at that same time, Shape started playing a bunch of shows. Gardeners was playing. Big Mouse was playing. So then we just like added another band into the mix of like all these shows we were playing. Mm-hmm. You know, we make these like rad bills and we'd all play on each other's shows and these assholes would like all book shows and be like, Hey Mike, you're playing three sets. And I'm like, Oh man, but you're just playing drums, dude. You don't have to sing. You don't have to learn chords. Um, but, (laughs) but you do have to mix the set. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. But, uh, yeah. So kind of that that whole year I was freelancing other studios like like building great connections with with friends like John O'Brien and Hybrid Studios and mm-hmm. um and all that and and then I got a random Facebook message from a guy named Mike Filson and mm-hmm. he's like hey I own Artisan's label and I'd known about the studio never been here mm-hmm. and he's like come over for some fried chicken and PBR I was like what <laughs> what and uh, what an allure. Yeah. And so we had a little like party and yeah. Amy and I showed up and uh, got the full Filson treatment and basically uh, walked in the studio and, and him and I had cut a deal within a couple days mm-hmm. and um, I moved in. We split everything down the middle and had a beautifully built space, but the gear needed a lot of love and I had a lot of gear in, store, in storage. And so, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah kind of just like came in to uh, a studio and, and popped all the gear in and you know before I know it I'm like all right Ian we're recording the Gardener's Logic record here all right Jimmy let's do the Big Monster record here and then sorry Jeb I was like all right shape time to do a shape record here and uh, just started bringing all the business back to here and then over the first couple years um, Philson and I were trying to hone in the business model and so on and so forth. And we kind of landed on our current model, you know, where we, we are trying to be a home for freelance producers and engineers Mm -hmm. and all these creative people. And, um, we were like, we need somebody to help out with all this. And I was like, Hey Shane, 
you want to be our studio manager? And he was like, yes, please. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. What a amazing way to bring it all back together. Trying to. Trying to make this a whole three-hour podcast. No, we're good. We're only at like 120, I think. But to end, I think, the podcast, you know what I'm going to ask you. Which story? I, I don't. I really don't. You should. The very short story of Daddy Dan. See? He's laughing. He's he's away from the microphone, but Daddy Dan and Mike Wilson, to tie up this whole, whole perfect, uh, you know, little relationship. <laughs> so Shane is a very fine drummer. Thank you. Let me start that off. Thank you. <clears throat> I have my moments. I have some moments here and there. And for the record, I was very impressed with his drumming and Hank and her ponies. Thank you. I liked it. He had a shaker thing going on. Oh, he was yeah. still playing the kid. I was like, damn. This and guy Kettle knows Drivers, on. I was rocking it. He was. Um, he was. He sure was. He was. Anyways. <laughs> um, so this was, I, I it, think... It's too bad you never saw Two Don't Tantrum. Like, we've... Like that was a great, we rocked, brother. We've rocked the house. I don't know if you know this, but we were kind of doing stuff. <laughs> no, that was a great, great fucking band, and oh, it's too dude, too bad. Bring him in here one one live session. We'll see. Well, okay, so this I think this was like our second or third show at Casa. It, no, it was it Copper Door. That your dad oh, oh, yes, 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 famously yes. insulted me. That, uh, insult, Michael. <laughs> He's just uh, encouraging you. So, Daddy Dan is Dan Thompson, the father of Shane Thompson, and we were playing at Copper Door, which is kind of like sort of kind of underground, right? Subterranean, yep. In uh, Santa Ana, uh huh. And I think Brett was on bass. We had Greg on guitar. Yep. And it was actually a great show. I forget who else was on the bill. I have no idea. Um, but we finished the show, naturally nobody's there. And, um, I walk up to the bar and I don't think I had like properly met your dad. Like maybe sort of, kind of, maybe popped his head in the garage or something sure. like that. You know? Hey man, that sounds really good. You guys should play, uh, uh, can't, can't you hear me knocking by the store, by the stones? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like, you know, done with the set. I like roll up to the bar to grab a beer and I get like a pat on the back. He's like, hey, man. I was like, oh, hey, yeah, you're Shane's dad. What's up? And he's like, can I buy you a beer? I was like, finally, I get something at this gig. And um, <laughs> and uh, no. So I was like, yeah, please. That, that'd be great. And, uh, you know, it's nothing like an old man buying you a beer after uh, a set. And uh, he's like, cool. We get our beers. I cheers him. You know, I'm like, so how'd it sound? It was everything cool. You know, he's just like, yeah, man, everything was great. You know, I really think you're doing a great job. And, and I'm like, oh, great, man. Like Shane writes some great music, like, you know, trying to give him some fatherly compliments. And he like passed me on the shoulder. He's like, yeah, man, like, you know what? You're almost as good as Shane is on drums. He's like, you really just need to keep on working at it. You'll almost be there. Oh boy. And I was like, uh, I think Fucking I just slammed my beer dead. and I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and uh, he was just totally clueless. And I was like, just at that point, I've been waiting to drum off Shane. That's Daddy Dan. <laughs> that's Daddy Dan. But 
Also, real quick, the first show you ever played for Shape Pataki, you were high. I don't know what you're talking about. Off your ass. And that was, and everyone came up to, I had no idea. I had no idea. You took an edible, right? Okay. I, in my was early that, 20s, developed. Was this at Evoca or Casa? Casa. Well, it, it, oh, was, it was Casa. Yeah, it was, it was Casa. Casa yeah. My early 20s, uh-huh. I developed anxiety. Oh, okay. So before this first show, and it wasn't triggered by your music. Uh-huh. I, what was it triggered by? I don't know. And uh, Oh, interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I was having like a full-on anxiety attack and was trying to find a solution. So I took like, a little bit of an edible chocolate and I got to the gig and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I am totally screwed. And uh, I, I had no like, idea. I had no idea. <laughs> no idea. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember like they have great cocktails there. I remember like trying to order great like an cocktails. old fashioned. And yeah. I was like just trying to like straighten it out. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I think the only person I told was Tierney. Uh huh. And uh, I was like, oh no. Like, I, I don't know if I could do the gig. <laughs> and. We go up as a tiny room, tiny stage, and like I was just like hyper focused, like yeah. Oh, lonely. And, uh, say to myself, is that what you're yeah, playing right yeah, now? Yeah, see, <laughs> and uh, it went great, and everybody yes. there was like, "Man, you guys sounded great." It was like technically the record release show. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I was like, even Ian was like, "Dude, that's like the best I've ever heard you play." Right? I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, because. I mean, I used to be a little more reckless on the drums. Sure. You had to like not play into the room, like sure. you know, couldn't couldn't dial it back. But I was like so in my head and so gone that I was like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was just like, it turned out great. I had no idea. I, yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounded great. Yeah, and, it, and, and and yeah, there were people who were like, dude, Mike, you sounded amazing. That sounded really, really good. Dude, so funny. I was like, because I was, it was like totally an innocent thing. Sure. You know? I was yeah. like, had I was not trying to party. I was not yeah. like, I was just like, just trying to cover your bases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh no, this is clearly not for me. Like, what is happening? So, kids, sometimes drugs do help. <laughs> I guess. I don't think I had a very good time, but I guess the result was good. You know, well, that's, that's how I've, Every sort of performance goes. It's like, shit, this is what I got to do. All right, let's fucking get through it. And usually, most of the time, it's fine. Yeah, (laughs) Everything works out fine. The only problem is when you, like, panic. Panic is always the killer. And that's more of the story. It's like, don't panic. (laughs) Just, just... Don't panic, kids. Just keep, just keep going. You're going to be fine. That's why I tell Ian when he goes surfing. <laughs> oh, well, shit. Yeah. I guess that's kind of kind of the long-winded intro of both of our very yeah. mediocre stories. Mediocre? <laughs> my story was great. <laughs> I loved my story. You didn't like mine? It's, it's, it's good. Okay. No, it's, it's, uh, hey, it's impressive. For starting a studio at 19 years old... That's impressive. Well, I hope to get more into like kind of how we function and what makes us keep on doing what we're doing, yeah. you know, and, and all that stuff through the podcast. But yeah. like, like we talked about, this is like, 
been a long time coming and we tried yeah. for the past year to plan this out and get yep. a storyboard thing kind of going and some bullet points and all that. Cause we're like, you know what? At this point I've been on a couple great podcasts recently and, um, I have also been on a great podcast. Yeah. Film Speeds podcast, uh, consistently off. Yeah. Consistently off. Yeah. Consistently boss. And I was on My Double Life. My Double Life. Yeah. Great podcast. Yeah. 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 And that was awesome. Um, and yeah, we just kind of realized that, you know, we just got to do it and try to figure it out, you know, as we, as we go. And I it, think we're on the same page. Like we yeah. just want to bring some guests in and we just want to kind of just have those open conversations about like, yeah. What keeps us all going? What what makes us tick? Like we don't want it to be super self indulgent. We don't no. want it to be all about gear, like every other studio podcast. No. You know, we don't want to, you know, talk about all the amazing things we've done. It's like this is a human experience. This is something that has its ups and downs. Like right now, like yeah, this time last year I was touring, yeah, and having a great time. Me too. And I'm still having a great time, but I'm making records instead. So it's just a shift. It's you know how we're all navigating this crazy industry let alone through a pandemic so and it's also every person's story is different yeah everyone has a different approach everyone has a different upbringing everyone has different influences everyone has you know even a different passion to a certain extent but the idea of what we want is is pretty much it's similar along the same lines of like we just want to be able to do music full time like you know yeah partying's great you know doing those those fun experiences are great but ultimately we want to make good records and we want to be able to put on good shows and the entertainment factor as far as you know making someone else be as excited about music as we are is the ultimate goal it's something that <clears throat> you know we grew up with that we were we were influenced from a young age and we deem as something that's super important it's something that really motivates a lot of people maybe not everyone but a lot of people every single day to yeah. hear you know their favorite song their their favorite playlist their favorite album their their favorite artist you know something that that motivates them throughout the day and even motivates them throughout life. You know, there's there's some people who 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 will never get tired of listening to the Beatles. Yeah. Who'll never get tired to listening to, you know, I don't know, fucking Arcade Fire, fucking whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it it could be Jay-Z. It could be it's it goes all across all these different genres and we're so for that. We're so for promoting good artistry and and something that really inspires and resonates deep within you and and you don't even have control over it you just hear it and it just gets you excited and gets you motivated and gets you throughout your day yeah i mean it's like we exercise to it we have sex to it we get married to it yeah we drive to music you yeah. know what i mean and it's Work just to it. yeah we're we're so it's so ingrained in our lives and I don't think, I don't think very many people like uh, don't recognize that. But it's like, I think as musicians and as creative people, we oftentimes like get those surface level conversations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where it's like the the gigantic stars where they're just like, oh yeah, like I just 
do this to inspire people. But it's like, no, like the day-to-day kind of working class conversations, I think, are what inspire me, you know, uh, and make me feel really fortunate enough to be able to, like, call this a career for the past shit, I don't know, 10 years. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes and looking forward to seeing what guests we could get on. And, yeah. And hopefully uh, we could get some, like, feedback on on where we might be able to steer it and keep on keeping on. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening to episode one. Episode uno. Uno. We only got through like a, a, I don't know. What is this? Bro, it's, hey, we got through a good amount of Buffalo Trace, but hey, we got, we got, we got things to do. Yeah. All right. This is just number one. We do. This is number one. So thank you for all listening to this, we hope you enjoyed our history of how we came to be here at this very moment with myself, Shaney, and across from me, Michael. And uh, thank you so much. We will uh, talk to you soon. Cheers, guys. Woot a woot. Clanky, Let's clanky. Clink it. Can we do it loud enough? Yeah. Yeah. Adios.